Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Robert Mueller lowers the boom. Good happen today. Hey, what do you say, everybody? On a Monday, October 30. How about it? Great to see you today. And here we go. The Bill Press Show with all the news of the day. And it is loaded today from every angle. Lots and lots and lots to talk about. That's why it's good to see you today. Hope you had a great weekend. Oh, my God. So much football and a World Series action like you wouldn't believe with um, the Astros going into Los Angeles uh, one game up over the Dodgers after a big surprise, right? I thought I gave the baseball scores. You do. <laughs> I'll, give it to, I'll give you the update in just a second. All right. I'm just giving the highlight there. Okay, sure. All right. And um, then the big news is, according to CNN, yes, Robert Mueller uh, went before the grand jury on Friday. They approved the first charges in his investigation and the possible collusion with the Russians um, by the uh, Trump team. And the first arrest and the first indictments could come as early as today. Wow. That's just the beginning of it. Uh, and that big contract down in uh, Puerto Rico ain't no mo for Whitefish Energy, and we'll tell you why. We'll get into all of it and look forward to hearing from you what the news, I mean, what your comments are, what your thoughts are, your reaction to all the news of the day. You know how to do it. Go on Twitter. I mean, so there's a lot of room on Twitter now because Roger Stone's no longer on Twitter. <laughs> so it's left a lot of open space. Uh, go on Twitter, at BP Show. Send us your comments. We jump right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. You just hinted at it. Here's what happened last night. The Dodgers versus the Astros. In the World Series, Dodgers had a pretty commanding lead over the Astros all the way up until the fourth inning. They were leading four to nothing. Then the bottom of the fourth, Houston comes back, scores four runs. The fifth inning, both teams score three runs. Houston scores four runs at the bottom of the seventh, and then the Dodgers scored again at the top of the ninth, which sent it again to extra innings where we had a walk-off single in the bottom of the tenth for the Houston Astros. 
Final score was 13 to 12. Yeah, this is the second game in this World Series that have been like record games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is shaping up to be a remarkable classic, World classic, Series. Yeah. You know, I'd like if these games were during the day when they're on the weekend. I know, oh, no, I know. What I would just, give. It should have been yesterday. I afternoon. missed the entire game. What no. I wouldn't well, give. I went to bed thinking my Dodgers are up one. They're going to go to L.A. It's going to be a great big victory lap, you know, in L.A. And then I woke up this morning, 13 to 12. What the hell happened? You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who recently you say moved. my Dodgers? Yes, I yeah, did. He's, yeah, he's into my Dodgers Okay, I was now. just checking. It was checking. my Nationals, and it was my Cubs. <laughs> now it's my Dodgers. <laughs> Got it. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who moved to the I West Coast recently. I sleep around. Yeah, sure. Uh, a, friend, a friend of mine moved to the West Coast recently, and he said the greatest thing is for sports. Because, you know, you're watching this, it's oh. it's 11 o'clock at night for us. Yeah, yeah. It's 8 o'clock for them. That's that's one of the biggest. I mean, there are a lot of perks to living on the West Coast. Not, but that's a yes, pretty big one. Right. That's a pretty big one. Let me ask you a question. Yes. Do you have a dash cam in your car? No. Uh, yeah, no, neither do I. A lot of people don't here in America. In other countries, they do, by the way. It's Russia. Sort of, in Russia, especially, it's sort of standard that when you get a car, you get a dash cam so that you can see... And capture what you're looking at. Yeah, but you drive a Lada or whatever those things. <laughs> well, co- police are coming out more and more and saying here in America, you guys should have a dash cam for insurance purposes, right? Like if you get an accident, there's it eliminates the he said he said or she said. Well, she I have said. a backup cam. Comes with a car. Right, but that so, doesn't record anything. Like the dash cam captures what you're looking at. So if you do have a fender bender, here's my deal. Go ahead. If they put one on the car, I'll buy it. I mean, you know, if it comes with a car, fine. Sure, but you're not going to go out and go get one Hell no. Okay, all right. I'm just saying cops are saying it's a good idea. I don't think I'm going to either. I think it's a good idea for cops to wear body cams, right? And keep them turned on. Exactly. (laughs) And for cops to have dash cams. Sure. Cop cars, right? Yeah. Yeah. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. This could be the day it all falls apart. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Great to see you on a Monday, Monday, October 30, day before Halloween. Uh, And it is The Bill Press Show coming to you live coast to coast uh, from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where the entire Capitol sits in suspense today, waiting to see whether Robert Mueller is going to drop the uh, lower the boom, as reported by CNN, could happen as early as today. We are booming out to you from Washington and our studio on Capitol Hill. Joining you on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show. How about it? Looking at you on Free Speech TV. You're looking good this morning, and. Uh, Joining you on the great WCPT out in Chicago land, the greater Chicago area, and Indianapolis talk, Indiana talks uh, around Indianapolis and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, you are part of the show. We want to hear from you. Your comments welcome at any time on any topic. Just send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. And uh, you can catch our podcast. Podcasts are really taking off in every direction these days, including ours. More and more people signing up, listening to the podcast. Just go to BillPressShow.com. That's the easiest way to do it anytime during the day. Or you can find us on uh, iTunes or wherever else you uh, find your podcast. 
And remember, we got this uh, extra little thing going, special stuff every day on Patreon, patreon.com. But now there's something very, very special up there if you are have signed up on patreon.com. Uh, Peter, tell us all about it. So we're doing the making of Bernie Sanders. It's a special podcast series where, for those of you who don't know, Bernie Sanders, before he ever ran for president, had a meeting in your house. Yep. And so you were very close to the Bernie Sanders campaign. We have a plaque on our couch. Bernie sat here. Bernie sat here. (laughs) Uh, And you were very close to the Bernie campaign, and so we brought in a lot of familiar faces and names from the Bernie campaign to sort of explain how the run for president came to be and also what happened during the campaign. So we started out with episode one, which is on Patreon, me talking to you Mm -hmm. about what happened uh, at those meetings at your house. And then the latest episode went up on Friday. It's your conversation with Tad Devine. And it's really fascinating to listen to because you ask him about sort of pivotal moments during the campaign and what was going on inside the mind of Bernie Sanders and inside the mind of the campaign and sort of how they were feeling, whether they took this to be a good sign or a bad sign, whichever, you know, whatever moment it was. And it's it's really insightful. If you're a political junkie and you really want to know what was happening, it's a fascinating interview. And we've got more coming. You just have to go to patreon.com slash BP show. Yep. And donate five bucks a month. Five, five bucks, bucks a month, month you get extra stuff. Extra special, extra special stuff. Yeah. Taz a great guy. And uh, it is true. Remember that the uh, Sanders campaign started out uh, as an effort to make sure that progressive issues were part of the debate. That's what Bernie Sanders wanted. Uh, he, f- nobody else was willing to be that messenger. And so he was. And, uh, but then he gets out there and suddenly discovers, holy crap, this could even take off. It did take off. Wow, this may be more than just an issues campaign. It could be a winning campaign. We might actually be able to win this nomination. Uh, when did that and, and win the White House? When did that happen? Uh, how did they react to that? That's what Tad Devine talks about uh, on on this uh, Patreon.com. Uh, and again, you go to Patreon.com slash Bill Press Show. BP Show. BP Show. Yes, sir. BP Show. Right. Yeah. The big news of the day. There is so much news. I mean, in fact, uh, I think we should. I feel like um, Ted Koppel used to do this. uh, And every once in a while, the evening news will do this. We have so much news today. We want want to alert all our affiliates around the country that we're going to need an extra hour to cover (laughs) all the news of the day. So, yeah. Uh, Fasten your seatbelts because, yes, indeed, Robert Mueller expected to hand down the first indictments today. Uh, Donald Trump is still out there uh, tweeting away, calling it a witch hunt, uh, and trying to um, distract everybody by talking about uranium and talking about the dossier. Uh, He finally said something about opioids, uh, yes, uh, but didn't go very far. Sort of, kind of made opioids uh, a national story. And uh, NBC News uh, now echoing Fox News that the president's approval rating has sunk to an all-time low of 38%. Those are just part of the stories today. Uh, Adam Walner from the National Journal, uh, their uh, congressional correspondent, will be here in studio with us uh, as our first guest today, joined, uh, followed by Ali Watkins, national security correspondent for Politico, and then the president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, uh, the Honorable Mark Perrone, joining us in studio, too, to talk, talk about a lot of the latest issues facing um, American working families. Yeah, got to start with Robert Mueller. This is incredible. 
uh, huge, huge story, which could really be um, the whole ter- a turning point for the entire Trump administration. So Mueller's been there five months, right? Uh, a little more. But in less than six months, again, according to CNN, we know uh, that he's been hired up a really tough staff. We know that he's convened two grand juries, one in Virginia, one in Washington, D.C. We know that they are looking into uh, possible collusion between the Trump team and Russian officials and possible obstruction of justice on the part of the president of the United States. Uh, Again, CNN reports that Mueller has um, reached his first milestone that Friday in a Washington, D.C. courthouse. Uh, He convened a grand jury. The grand jury approved the charges that he recommended against certain individuals. And again, according to CNN, uh, those first arrests and the first indictments could be made as early as today, expected to be made today. Who is it? Uh, We don't know. There's a lot of speculation. Uh, It's not Donald Trump. The way these investigations start They start usually with smaller fish. That puts a lot of pressure on the bigger fish because they know the little fish are going to talk to lessen their sentence, if you will. Uh, My speculation is, by the way, this is a really a big fish, actually, uh, is that it's going to be Paul Manafort. I mean, we know that they um, raided Paul Manafort's home, got him out of bed uh, one morning, banged into his house and took his computers and his files. So we know know this guy, Carter Page, who was a campaign official uh, and actually went to the Kremlin for some meetings. We know Michael Flynn, remember, who lied about what he talked to uh, Ambassador Kislyak about. So it could be one or all of of three of those. Um, Could be other people as well. We don't really know. But it is what's really significant about this is that it proves that everything that Donald Trump has said about this investigation from the beginning is one big fat lie. Donald Trump called it fake news. As recently as yesterday morning, Donald Trump was tweeting out about calling it a witch hunt. Um, Donald Trump, we know, begged James Comey, former FBI director, to stop this investigation. When Comey refused, he fired James Comey to try to stop it. Instead, in one of the stupidest mistakes ever in the history of the American presidency, he fired James Comey, and that means that he got a special counsel investigation led by Robert Mueller. So he brought this whole thing on himself. But once these first, char- here's my point, once these first charges are filed, any idea that this is a witch hunt, any idea that this is not serious, just goes out the window. And Donald Trump's going to have to face the fact that this investigation has reached its first uh, milestone, if you will, but it ain't over. It's a rolling investigation. Mueller is not, remember, remember, remember Ken Starr kind of completed the whole investigation and then he came out with this bogus pornograph- report. pornographic report, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, Mueller's not doing it that way. Mueller yeah. clearly is going step by step by step, and every step is going to get closer to the Oval Office. This is only the, the first one. So even last week, 
with the direction from the an under direction from the White House, Devin Nunez resurfaces and says he's going to launch two new investigations to try to shift the focus to Hillary Clinton. And that's what Donald Trump was doing with his tweets yesterday. Let's talk about Hillary. Why aren't they talking about Hillary? All these attempts to change the subject, to talk about this old bogus uranium deal, to talk about who paid for this dossier in opposition research, all of those efforts to change the subject, to divert attention, are going to disappear if indeed what happens that we expect to happen today, Robert Mueller uh, files these charges because it proves this is the real story. This is the real focus. There is something real here, collusion, at least on the part of some campaign officials, and the investigation will continue to see how high up the Trump campaign, how high up the ladder uh, this activity, uh, collusion, really went. Uh, So I got to tell you, man, huge, huge. And uh, we could know by tomorrow. We'll see what Mueller does. I mean, you know, he could wait a couple of days, too. Sure, yeah, exactly. What happened today. One thing that's important to remember that I've seen a couple of people talking about who follow this stuff is that Mueller, it gets to your point about how methodical everything is here with Mueller. You know, these indictments, you might not see a Paul Manafort or Don Jr. indictment today. It might be somebody smaller, which will eventually lead to yeah. these bigger fish like like Mueller or Michael Flynn or uh, Don Jr. for that matter. So... I think patience is going to be the key here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like I, we don't want to burn out on this on this story. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so what, what I find it almost ludicrous the um, attempts on the part of the Trumpers, and I was on uh, MSNBC with one yesterday to say, and Donald Trump let, is leading this thing. If you if you read his tweets, you might pull some of them up, Peter. His tweets from yesterday all trying to get it back to, let's talk about Hillary instead. Come on. Why aren't we talking about Hillary? Here is, uh, remember, Corey Lewandowski, former campaign chair, who succeeded Paul Manafort and then was thrown out because of his sexual harassment charges. Uh, Corey Lewandowski is saying again, uh, what about Hillary? The speculation is so insane right now. What we should be focusing on are the continued lies of the Clinton administration, the continued fallacies that they perpetuate. The what? The Clinton administration? Clinton administration. The the Bill Clinton administration? Yeah, Yeah. the Clinton administration. They, (laughs) you know, they can't accept the fact. I made this point yesterday. They can't accept the fact that Hillary didn't win. Donald Trump won, right? Why are we focusing on Donald Trump? Because he's the president, and he's, it's his team that was having all these meetings with the Russians, not Hillary Clinton. But the worst is Judge Janine, who is one of the dumbest people I, I ever it's amazing on, ever on television. Okay, so listen, listen to this that she dredges up. It's time to shut it down, turn the tables, and lock her up. That's <laughs> what I said. I actually said it. Lock her up. God, Dumbo. Can you believe it? Yeah. It was really just... Like, uh, we just had to sit up. here in silence because it, 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 it's just so dumb. It's, it's so the stupid. dumbest thing. It's yeah. the dumbest like thing. Like this. I actually said it. I actually said it. it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Good yeah. for you. All right. Uh, Chris Christie made a good point yesterday. Uh, Christie coming out and saying that uh, so far as we know... Donald Trump is not the 
subject yet, right? Uh, but Christy did say, if you're going to be arrested today, uh, remember, this is a former U.S. attorney, right? So he's been through this. If you've been arrested today, in fact, uh, Christy put Jared Kushner's yeah. daddy in jail. Yeah. Right. So he's been there, and he says, if, you're, if you are the target, it's no surprise to you. Believe me. If you are the me. person, you know. Yeah, it's true. You know, so whoever. It's very Trumpy. It is Trumpy. Believe, Believe me. me. Believe me. But, you know, it is true. Whoever is going to get, the hammer is going to fall today. They know it today. Their attorneys. Oh, yeah. Their attorneys know it. They've been informed. Uh, we're coming after you. <laughs> oh, we're coming after you on Monday. Oh, are you having lunch? Oh, you're going to have lunch at the Palm? Yeah, we just need to know because we might, we might have to send yeah. we might have to send a couple just of. We need to know where you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have to uh, give credit to uh, one guy that we uh, normally just slam, Trey Gowdy, um, head of the Oversight Committee. Yesterday, actually said something fairly reasonable. I was surprised the hell out of all of us, where he said, uh, "What Republicans ought to do is just get out of the way and let Mueller do his job." I would encourage my Republican friends, give the guy a chance to do his job. The result will be known by the facts, by what he uncovers. The personalities involved are much less important to me than the underlying facts. So I, I, would, I would say give the guy a chance to do his job. Yeah, give the guy a chance to do his job. Uh, exactly. So we'll see what happens on that today. Meanwhile, again, uh, and we talked about this a little bit um, on Thursday, and Peter, thank you again for being here on Friday, um, is they tried to, they really are trying their best to, uh, I think this disappears after today, but they tried their best at the end of last week and over the weekend to say, come on, why aren't we talking about this dossier? Why are we talking about the fact that this opposition research effort on Donald Trump which ended up with uh, some uh, pretty troubling stuff about Donald Trump's connections with and negotiations with the Kremlin over building a Trump Tower when he said he had no talks with them at all, uh, and also some pretty salacious stuff that hasn't been verified. But this opposition research dossier put together by uh, a public relations a firm that specializes this, and they hired a former British intelligence officer called Christopher Steele to do it, and um, they, they say we should hold hearings because this dossier was paid for by the DNC and by the Clinton campaign. That, that, that whole effort kind of blew apart on Friday when it, was just, when it was revealed that that opposition research contract was actually begun during the Republican primary, yeah. GOP primary, by the Washington Beacon. Yeah, the Free Beacon. The Free Beacon, which is a right-wing sheet you know, here in Washington, political sheet here in Washington, and paid for by a big Republican donor, Paul Singer. They were all never-Trumpers. Yeah. And so they thought, well, let's get some stuff on Donald Trump. They started this thing. When he won the primary, the Democrats got in touch with the firm and said, keep it going, and we'll pick up the bill from here on. So the idea, this blew up in their face, right? It's not, it wasn't a Democratic plot at all. It was a Republican plot that the Democrats just continued, of course, because then Donald Trump was the, uh, was the general election candidate. And the same thing with the uh, uranium deal, um, which they're accusing, of course, Hillary Clinton 
and Bill Clinton of acting in cahoots to turn over all of the United States uranium production uh, to the Soviets. When you look at that deal, you find out there were actually 11 government agencies that approved it. The Secretary of the Treasury, not the Secretary of State, was the head of the committee that reviewed this. Um, they only get in that deal 11% of the United States uranium production. And you could raise a question of why should they have any percentage of it. But the point is, Hillary didn't make the deal. And under the deal, they cannot sell any uranium outside of the United States. So Russia's not getting our uranium. I mean, there's, like, there's nothing there to the dossier deal. There's <coughs> nothing there to the uranium deal. It was just one big effort to, again, get, get back on Hillary. Uh, and, that's, and that's what Donald Trump was saying over the weekend. Why? Do, he said, do something, all caps. Here's, right? what, here's, yeah. here's some of what – he had so many tweets about this. But yeah. I'll just read sort of the string of them. Never seen such Republican anger and unity as I have concerning the lack of investigation on Clinton-made fake dossier. The uranium to Russian deal, the 33,000-plus deleted emails, the Comey fix, and so much more. Instead, they look at the phony Trump-Russia collusion, yeah. with quotes, phony. which doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. The Dems are using this terrible and bad for our country witch hunt for yeah. evil politics. But the R's are now fighting back like never before. There's so much guilt by Democrats and Clinton, and now the facts are pouring out. Do something! All yeah. caps. Yeah. By the way. All of that is about the Mueller investigation. Yeah. And then the White House counsel comes out and says he wasn't talking about Robert Mueller. And then he also, his final, the final tweet in this string where he says, all of this Russia talk right when the Republicans are making yeah. their big push for historic tax cuts and reform. Is this coincidental? <laughs> Not. <laughs> By the way, all this Russia you know talk what? has been going on since... Inauguration Day. Yeah, it's not yeah. like they're it's not like they're dropping this you know, strategically. Thought, like this has been going on his entire administration. I actually said it. <laughs> yes. Lock him up. Lock, right. I thought the Washington Post summed it up very well this morning. Their headline on the front page is Facing Heat on Russia, Trump hits Clinton. Right? Yeah. So he can feel Mueller. He can feel the he can hear the footsteps coming. And so over the week he tries to get back at Clinton. A couple of other stories I just want to touch on, uh, not time to really delve into all the rest of them, but uh, that great contract that Interior Secretary uh, Ryan Zinke uh, was able to land for his neighbor and his buddy out in Whitefish, Montana, Whitefish Energy, which had a total of two employees before Hurricane uh, Maria. Was it Maria? Is that, that struck uh, Irma Maria? No, uh, Harvey. Uh, Harvey. Harvey yeah, struck right. Puerto Rico. Uh, uh, Whitefish Energy got a $300 million contract to rebuild Puerto Rico's total energy electric grid. They have two employees, $300 million, a no-bid contract. Nobody else even got a chance to bid it. Ryan Zinke landed that uh, for his, you know, the CBS News, they sent a reporter to the headquarters of Whitefish Energy. It was so funny. It was, their headquarters is like a little log cabin in the middle of this woods out in nowhere, Montana. No, Nothing around at all. Uh, you just drive through this forest and drive through this forest. You finally come up to this little cabin. And uh, that was Whitefish Energy. Uh, the governor of Puerto Rico canceled the contract. Uh, yeah, it's done. Right. What? I mean, this, 
these it's like Tom Price. These guys, they're all in there just for the money. You Drain know, the swamp. You know that Ryan Zinke got a piece of that contract. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, he says he uh, knew nothing about it. Uh, that contract, I'm sure they'll go out now and, and uh, get what they should do, go to legitimate uh, electrical companies, uh, many of them around, and have an open bidding process and get the best people to uh, to do the job. Yeah, Donald Trump did finally say uh, on Friday that uh, opioids are a national emergency. Um, I guess it was Thursday. He did that in the, in the um, uh, East Room of the White House. Uh, but he didn't put any new money up for it. Yeah, it's an emergency, and we have to do something about it, but we're not going to spend any money on it. Yeah, Drugs. So. They're bad. They're bad. Yeah. So kind of, sort of, almost a little bit, he paid attention to the uh, – uh, to the opioid crisis. And uh, other crisis in the Donald Trump world, of course, is that the NBC Wall Street Journal poll uh, out last night showing that Donald Trump's approval rating has now sunk to the low of 38%. Um, no president in our, no, not just in our lifetime, like in the last 100 years, has had uh, approval rating that low. Tip top uh, shape. Yep. And uh, <laughs> this is exactly what uh, the Fox News reported last week as well. Thirty-eight percent, you know, which certainly, certainly, um, will get the attention of Republicans who are running for support, are running for re-election in twenty eighteen. When you've got a president who is below, and and Nancy Pelosi pointed this out over the weekend, you have a president uh, who's below fifty percent, and every time that that has happened, that party. President's party has lost control of the House of Representatives in the following uh, midterm elections. So when you get a president down to thirty-eight percent, and everybody says, "Oh, his base still loves him," yeah, right. But thirty-eight percent doesn't win you an election. Thirty-eight percent doesn't certainly is not enough to keep control no. of the House and the Senate uh, and and the White House. Uh, and now Republicans are moving on to the uh, try to do something about, of course, tax cuts. So the first thing they had to do was to get down to where they can do the tax cuts with just 51 votes is pass this budget resolution. Very significant. We will see what happens when the when first of all, we'll see what happens when they finally come up with a tax cut plan, which we haven't seen yet, other than a little bit of outline. We see the legislation. We know it's going to add about $2 trillion to the national debt. Even at 51 votes, it's no guarantee that they're going to get it. My point is, so the House has to pass the, the budget resolution first. And they did. This is with Paul Ryan, full-throated support. The, pa- the budget passed 216 to 212. Man. Just a whisker, right? Of, of, of difference there. They could easily have lost that. What, what it proves is, even among Republicans, there's not a lot of enthusiasm for the Republican tax cut budget plan adding $2 trillion to the deficit. So I've said this before, I'll say it again. I don't think they're going to be, there's going to be any tax cut legislation. They say this is going to be their big win. It's going to show they know how to govern. We're going to get a big win before the end of the year. On tax cuts, that's what Donald Trump says, Mitch McConnell says, Paul Ryan says. I don't believe it. I think it's going to be the same as uh, 
uh, is the repeal of Obamacare. They'll rig the rules. They'll yeah. rig the vote to where they only need 51, keep Democrats entirely out of out of the process, and then they won't be able to deliver their own caucus. Yeah. Well, my- if they can't deliver on this, they've got a real serious problem. And and not just with like you know you the think? midterm. I mean, look, we know they have a serious <laughs> no, problem. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, we see this. But like like the like the repeal of Obamacare. I think a lot of people saw that as a winnable thing for Democrats, right? Like, yeah. you force yeah. these guys to 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 look it in the eye and look their constituents in the eye and tell them we're going to take your health care away. But, That's not a winnable argument, and I think we kind of saw that. But this. I mean, this is the very heart of who these Republicans are. And you know are. what this does? This exposes and unmasks Mitch McConnell as yeah. a total phony baloney. This whole idea that he's the master legislator, right? Yeah. B.S. Yeah. Can't even deliver his own caucus. That'll right, be right. Trump. Trump. Yeah. That'll be there so embarrassing. Yeah. Gosh, let's take gonna a break my little heart when that <laughs> Oh, boy. Hey, let's take a closer look at some of the, uh, some of the action in Congress. And some of the important political races around the country with Adam Wolner from the National Journal. Coming up next, quick break. We'll be right back. Believe me. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And here we go on a Monday, October 30, The Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, great men and women of the Iron Workers Union. Under President Eric Dean, they are building our communities today and ready to rebuild our infrastructure tomorrow. Congress only gets its act together on infrastructure. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and you can check out their good work at ironworkers.org. Uh, A lot of political news on, um, on the uh, horizon here. Coming up very soon, big governor's races in New Jersey and Virginia. Uh, and uh, a lot of jockeying for Senate races um, are coming up in 2018, as well as uh, control of the House of Representatives. Adam Wallner hangs out at the Capitol every day trying to uh, track down and um, get some good quotes out of uh, members of Congress. That's right. <laughs> uh, or embarrass them or get them in, tr- get them in trouble, oh, no. whatever no, you can me. do. Not no. Me. no, no. <laughs> How are you, Adam? I'm doing all right, Bill. Thanks all right, for having good me Good to on. see you. And yeah. I want to start in your home state of... Wisconsin, yeah. right. Uh, so Tammy Baldwin's up next year. That's right. Right. Yeah. One of the more progressive, certainly members of the United States Senate. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, uh, like most senators, is she trimming her sails this year to uh, uh, rush to the middle to uh, win not, re-election? Yeah, not at all. Quite the opposite, actually. And and as you mentioned, you know, Long has been you know, had a reputation as one of the more progressive members of Congress in general. You know, she was She's in the great. House. I love her. Rep- representing Madison before she moved to the Senate, mm-hmm. uh, won there in 2012. And what's interesting, you know, not only j- just within the Senate at large, is she, is she one of the more liberal members? Uh, she's one of, of 10 senators, uh, Democratic senators up in 2018 who are representing states that President Trump carried in 2016. 
Um, and you know, and, and every senator is playing a little bit differently. And of course, it depends on the makeup of the state. Wisconsin went very narrowly for Trump, so you, there may not be you know a reason for her to to moderate. It maybe as much as some of her other fellow Trump state Democrats. But but yeah, but she is is kind of staying true to her progressive reputation, especially on issues like health care. You know, she was the only Trump state Democrat to sign on to uh, Senator Bernie Sanders' single payer health care bill. She signed on to another a, a number of other proposals as well. There's some Medicare for all, some Medicaid for all type proposals that have been out there. Um, so she is really trying to get out on the forefront of health care, which is interesting because I think at, at the beginning of this year, you know, Republicans had sort of hoped to use the same playbook against her that they've used against Democrats for years now, sort of uh, you know, criticizing her for her support of Obamacare. I think she's trying to turn that on, on its head a little bit and be mm-hmm. a little more proactive on those issues. But but yeah, she she is by no means running to the center. I think she is going to run as as a as a progressive member of the Senate. And that's sort of the, how she ran in the first place in 2012 and, and won her uh, election at, at that point. So why, I guess, in her view, why, why change it up? Because Wisconsin, despite the fact that uh, Trump carried it, right, Wisconsin doesn't mean that Wisconsin suddenly become a red state. Right. And, and Wisconsin obviously has gone, you know, it's gone all over the place yeah. in, in recent elections. You know, Obama won there twice. You know, Baldwin won there. Uh, but Scott Walker has, has won three times. Ron Johnson's <laughs> won there twice. And so it's interesting, you know, I, you know, if you just kind of look at who is in power in Wisconsin right now, you might say Baldwin is kind of the odd person out. In fact, she's only one of two uh, statewide um, elected Democrats in office right now. Uh, you know, Republicans are in oh, solid really? control of the huh. state house. Yeah. There, only the Secretary of State <laughs> is th- that's the only other Democrat yeah. uh, who's been elected state, and he happens to have a last name of, of LaFollette. So that always helps uh, right. there. Right. So, so you look at you know you look who you know Tammy Baldwin is you know is in the same space with Scott Walker, Ron Johnson. Uh, that's an odd pairing to, to say the least. But I think at this point, I think both Republicans and Democrats would say she is a slight favorite for re-election. Of course, a very long ways to go. A lot depends on how that GOP primary plays out. I was out. going to say there's also a contested GOP That's primary, right. which uh, uh, picked up a little heat this week with that, Steve Bannon jumping in. That's right. So, so there are two main candidates <laughs> at the moment in that race. Uh, we've got Leah Vukmir, who is a, a state senator. Uh, she's been in the, the Wisconsin legislature for about 15 years now. Uh, strong ally of Scott Walker's of, of you know of the conservative grassroots there, uh, but then you have sort of a fresh face getting into the race as well. Someone named Kevin Nicholson. Uh, he's never run for office before. Former Marine, businessman, actually was was a Democrat until not that long ago. Uh, he, he he actually spoke at at, a, at a, one of the recent Democratic National Conventions. So he's had he's had a bit of a, a come to Jesus moment, I guess, with, with with the Republican Party. So. On paper, he looks like he'd be a great candidate. You know, he has the business background. He's got the military background. He, he's young. Um, you know, you know, could definitely be a, a potential rising star in the party. But but there are a lot of question marks surrounding him, particularly in, in Wisconsin, where you know, Wisconsin is an interesting state where you don't necessarily have the same sort of divide or the same uh, disconnect between the quote unquote establishment there and the conservative grassroots, because really a lot of the the members of the of the state legislature, Scott Walker, they were members of you know they, they had the support of the grassroots before they rose to power in the first place. So he may have a you know a tougher time with that kind of drain the swamp message in, in a state like Wisconsin. And you mentioned the the Steve Bannon endorsement. Uh, he he decided to go with Nicholson, and that really rankled um, an influential group there, the conservative talk radio hosts. And you may remember in, in the in the 2016 presidential primary, uh, they actually played a pretty key role in, in sinking Donald Trump there. You know, Wisconsin yeah, came at a right. point in the calendar where he was kind of on a roll, looked like he was going to steamroll to the nomination. Uh, and Wisconsin slowed him up a little bit. I mean, obviously, he, he clearly still went on to win the nomination. But, um, uh, but, but it just goes to show that the political climate 
uh, among Republicans is a little different in Wisconsin than other states. Um, are there any other? So we've seen uh, Jeff Flake was a big mm-hmm. surprise last week. We knew that Bob Corker was not going to run for re-election. Now Jeff Flake not running for re-election. Um, any more Republican dropouts? Well, I think we're all kind of keeping an eye on Orrin Hatch right now in Utah. There have been rumors now for months that he may uh, decide to retire rather than run for re-election in 2018. Already one of the older members of, of the Senate, you know, he's been someone that people have been keeping an eye on for a while. Um, and, and we've seen some some conflicting reports on this. Actually, um, McKay Coppins in The Atlantic just reported last week that Hatch uh, is expected to not seek re-election and that Mitt Romney would, would actually then run uh, if Hatch decided not to. Uh, Hatch's world is saying that no final decision has been made. They've been very adamant about that. Um, so you have to think that that decision is going to come sometime soon. You know, it's going to be, you know, we're, we're coming up here on the end of 2017. You know, these campaigns are really going to start to get underway starting next year. Uh, you know, you don't want to be caught flat footed, you know, even in a state like, like Utah, you know, that's going to stay in Republican hands. But the issue for particularly the Republican establishment is, you know, having their candidate in place, whether it's Hatch, whether it's Romney, because you're probably going to see. Uh, you know, Steve Bannon get behind some sort of primary challenger there as, as well. So they, you know, they want to make sure they have all their ducks in a row before that happens. Hatch is eighty three. I think he's eighty three. I want to say. Yeah. Um. He's he's younger than Diane Feinstein. Eighty three, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 that's what I thought. I thought, I thought it was yeah. A year. yeah. So so yeah. So that's you know you know that's um a huge factor that's going to play into his. And decision. Romney has already. <coughs> Pardon me. Indicated hasn't he that he'd be interested in? Yeah. So you know he he hasn't said anything publicly, but but, but all, all the reports have been that if 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 Hatch decides not to run, Romney would 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 step in and run. He still has a yeah. I'm sure he still has a residence in Utah, and so um, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So and yeah, it, it's well, it's been but, it's been strange that you know, you know Hatch's world has been very you know adamant, but, and that you know they've pushed back on any report that he's made a final decision. Uh, but 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 he he would you know and then the thing is you know there's only there's only eight Republican senators up for re-election in 2018 so so really outside of you know we already have Corker Flake and then Hash there really aren't many other candidates for for retirement uh, yes but then it looks like the Steve Bannon may also be uh, supporting a challenger against Roger Wicker in Mississippi. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. And of course, for all the other senators who are going to be running uh, in 2018, you know, they're not going to escape uh, Bannon's wrath. It looks like, uh, you know, Deb Fisher in Nebraska, uh, John Barrasso in, in Wyoming, uh, some other uh, potential targets for Bannon. Although uh, President Trump has reportedly said, you know, privately kind of talked to these senators um, behind the scenes that he, he would support them in the reelection if they face a primary challenger. But but uh, it looks like Bannon is going to leave, you know, few few states unturned here as as we head into the into the midterms. When um, uh, it, when you uh, we were talking off the air about how uh, Corker and and Jeff Flake are the Bob Corker and Jeff Flake are, are sort of the. Uh, the two candidate the two senators who are getting the most attention these mm-hmm. days, <coughs> pardon me, from reporters, because. Yes. Because of what they have said about Donald Trump, right? Because they're likely to um, throw another log on the fire or something, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's tough. You know, it, it's funny they, now. You know, whenever you're in like the, the Senate basement and you just see kind of like a horde of reporters surrounding somebody, and you can't quite see who's in the middle. Everyone just kind of has the recorder. You just have to assume it's either Corker or Flake at this point. Because... Well, little little Robert. <laughs> yeah, 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 little, yeah, little, little with two D's. Yeah, that's right, and, and the apostrophe at and the, the apostrophe. end. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, but but yeah, but it's going to be really. I mean, you know, it, it's one thing for them to to give kind of good quotes to the press. It's you know, we'll, we'll see uh, how far they actually go to sort of slow down Trump's agenda. Uh, Corker in particular should be interesting to watch on, on tax reform. 
because uh, he has said he doesn't want to add a single penny to to the deficit. Um, and it's going to be really tough for, for Republicans, I think, to, to find a tax reform plan that doesn't well, accomplish uh, uh, that. So that's what I was going to ask you a couple mm-hmm. of questions about that. Number one is, are they, because they have basically cut their ties with Donald Trump, mm-hmm. are they automatic no votes for tax cuts? Uh, by, by no means are they automatic no votes. And I think, you know. So th- they could still vote for Trump, the Trump agenda. Absolutely. And, like, well, and, and I think. And, yeah. As Flake has 95% of the time. Right. And I think the way that they view it is. You know, they, they, they don't view, you know, tax reform as something that is only going to help Trump. You know, they realize that really that this is the last chance for Republicans to, to accomplish a major legislative goal before the 2018 midterms. They don't want to leave their own colleagues out to dry. You know, if, if they sink tax reform and then 2018 rolls around, you know, Republicans in the House and the Senate have to run free election and sort of tell voters, well, we had control of the White House, the Senate, the House. We still weren't able to get anything done. But you know, give me another chance. We'll, we'll we'll give it a go again. So I think the way they view this is, you know, if they were to vote for whatever their tax reform package looks like, it's not that they are doing it to support Trump, but it would be to help out their own colleagues as, you know, as Republicans try and maintain control next year. And they do stand out in the sense that both of them were willing to stand up to Donald Trump and say some pretty, pretty, make some pretty strong statements about he's right. not fit to be president, you know, he's embarrassing to the country, he could lead us into World War III, it's like the uh, adult daycare center, I mean, um, making very clear that they're not, that, you know, they've cut ties with Trump. Are they, are, are there any other Republican senators that we could expect to join them uh, as a, a pro, so-called profile encourage, maybe? Well, I think uh, John McCain has certainly been outspoken um, all Good along. Point. You know, yeah. he's you know he, he's yeah. a different case in the sense that, um, you know, one being sort of you know one of the elder statesmen of the Senate has, has uh, never really held back in terms of of criticizing his, his own party, and he uh, you know just won re-election in 2016, and you know his next re-election race would be way down the road, and I don't think that is really going to be in, in the picture for him anyway. So I think you know those three will be the ones to to watch in in terms of. You know, you know how, how how much more they sort of escalate their their criticism. But one might have thought that Lindsey Graham would be part well, and, of that, and that's, but now he's gone the other that's way. That's been really, he's yeah, become, that's been, uh, Trump's puppy. Yeah, dog. yeah. Politico had a really good profile <laughs> yeah. of that like you know he, he, sometimes he's talking to Trump, you know, upwards of three times a day on, yeah. on his yeah. cell phone. And I think it started. Um, you know, how you know did that happened. Right. You know, it's it, so crazy. It's me. interesting. You know, one I think you know his involvement with. Obviously, with with the health care bill, the Graham-Cassidy bill, that was sort of their yeah, last-ditch yeah. effort. Trump wanted, you right. know, obviously wanted to get something done with repeal and replace Obamacare. That happened to be sort of the last r- remaining option. Um, and, and, you know, and Graham, I, you know, I feel like, too, in, in some sense, you know, Trump has sort of taken his side on a lot of foreign policy issues as well. You don't necessarily think of Trump as being, you know, sort of a hawkish guy. But, you know, Graham has actually praised a lot of Trump's uh, foreign policy decisions. And, and Graham also, re- you know, Graham and McCain and a lot of these hawks on Capitol Hill, even if they don't necessarily always agree with what the president is doing or maybe his temperament on certain issues, they like the the people that he's put around him, whether it's, uh, you know, Mattis at, at the Defense Department, uh, you know, General Kelly as as his chief of staff. So, um, and, I, you know, I guess for, you know, Graham, too, you probably also realize it's you're probably in a better place not to, you know, just be receiving on the receiving end of critical tweets from Trump. And if you actually have a chance to influence him, you know, in his mind, he'd probably rather be. On and if you go out and uh, tell everybody in the world what a wonderful golfer he is. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, th- th- that that seems to be the, the one consistent. Uh, you know, Republicans flattery, still flattery pra- will. praise his golf games. So. Yeah. Flattery <laughs> will get you anywhere with Donald Trump for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and Lindsay's good at it, laying yeah. it, 
<laughs> laying it on. I, I, like, I think it would be Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, who's another guy who is not really all that concerned with making friends in this party and has also been... I would, I mean, wronged by Trump is sort of an understatement for how yeah. Trump treated yeah. Ted Cruz during the primary. Right, yeah. That, yeah. And they both are lining up. Yeah, Cruz's convention speech from last year is just kind of like an afterthought at, yeah. at this point. And, yes. and, and it's actually funny, getting back to Bannon uh, in an interview he did with Fox a few weeks ago, I think I think Ted Cruz was the only senator he singled out yeah. as someone that he wouldn't challenge. So, I mean, it's just been yeah, right. you know, what a turnaround. They said he challenged any, any yeah, senator. Yeah, except for Cruz. So except for, what a turnaround that's been except in the past for, uh, year. Ted Cruz. <laughs> so John Boehner has resurfaced uh, yes. in the last couple of days. Yes. How's he doing? Well, yeah, uh, yeah Tim Alberta had a great... Very long uh, read over at Politico magazine about what Boehner is up to these days. I would definitely recommend reading that if you have time. I think I think it's a solid twelve thousand words. So that, that's when you want to you know yeah. pull up in a comfy chair, yeah. get your coffee, get your tea, and, and really dive into it. But just really an excellent look at you know not only um, Boehner's life post Congress, but kind of using that to tell the story of how the Republican Party has evolved since Boehner first came to Washington. Um, you know, when Boehner, you know, first came, I guess it was in 1989, I think, when he first when he first won an election, he, he was sort of <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the the Freedom Caucus before there was a Freedom Caucus. He was kind of had that a drain the swamp type message. He was the conservative insurgents at the time. And of course, by the time he left, uh, he, he was quite the opposite. Um, so it just goes to show, you know, how the Republican Party ha- has really shifted in that time. And also, you know, how, you know, that era in the 90s, uh you know, when, when the Republicans took control of the House and you had sort of that conser- that conservative takeover, how that really sort of paved the way, uh, you know, eventually for, for the Tea Party. And then, of course, kind of laying the foundation for, for President Trump as well. Boehner was also one uh, before more before he became speaker, because then he was really beholden to the Tea Party, as we saw there only on. I think one or two occasions was he willing to break with the Tea Party and let the Democrats vote on anything. But before that, he always had the reputation of a. A guy you can make a deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we had him on Crossfire a lot, you know, because Boehner was that kind of a uh, a Republican. Yes, you know, working with Democrats on on various issues. He was always a conservative, always a Republican. Clear, but um, but a guy who was there to get things done. Right, right? and and that's just and, not true with the the, the leadership today. Right. And that, and that's what caught him so much flack, I think, with, with you know that Freedom Caucus, that yes, Tea Party wing of yes, the party. You know, yes. any any time that he would you know try okay. and cut a deal, you know, they'd initially label him. Remember as a we made the grand bargain deal right. with Obama, yeah. and then um, how'd that work out? The guy from Virginia, um, Cantor, Eric Cantor. Yeah, yeah. 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 I said, right. "Oh no, you're not." Right. Right. And Boehner had to call Obama and say, "It's off." Right. I yeah, can't, yeah. He I was, can't, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was always in you know very tough spot, obviously, but between those two. Uh, factions of the party, and um, and you know, and it, you know, but, not, I don't think a lot has well, changed. To uh, that point, uh, I was thinking that when you talked about Mitt Romney, you mm-hmm. know, you know, there was a time when Mitt Romney was considered. Well, look, he was the nominee of the party. Mm-hmm. If he comes to, if he were to go to the United States Senate, he would be an outlier, uh, given the present makeup of the Senate in terms of. Uh, you think of Mitt Romney still as somebody who would part of the establishment. Want to get things done, you know. Want to work with the other side. That's what. That's all what Bannon and company are looking for today. Right. Well, yeah. That's why you know, twenty eighteen, nor Donald Trump. Yeah. Even though in twenty eighteen, you know, there's only you know so many Republicans up for election. I mean, twenty eighteen is going to be a critical year in, in terms of determining like you know what's going to be the direction of of what, what kind of the Senate Republican caucus looks like. You know, you're losing Bob Corker. You know major deal maker, well respected on both sides of the aisle. Jeff Flake, you know, a unique center. You're already losing those two. Right. Um and and you know, who is gonna 
kind of step up and, and replace them? Who's going to run for their seats? You know, the, re- the leading Republican candidates, at least, are already much more on kind of the, the Bannon wing of, of things. So, you know, the makeup of, of the of what Senate Republicans look like in 2019 could end up looking a lot different than what it does now. So I think, you know, Republicans would love to get someone like Mitt Romney in there, you know, if Hatch would decide to retire to maybe counteract any any movement to the right from other states. So what do we at some... I think a week from tomorrow is the Virginia yeah. governor's race. Yeah. 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 It's really a in, in some senses I feel like it's sort of flown under the radar. I agree. You know, no, I, I feel like this is a huge, huge race. I think I think it would be a bigger race if uh the current governor was a Republican, but I think just the fact that Democrats trying to, to hold a seat as opposed to some of the House races we saw get so much attention it was Democrats maybe trying to flip a seat. Maybe maybe that's part of the reason, but um, but Virginia, you know, it's always always competitive. It's always going to be a tight race there. Yeah. I mean, of course, living in the district, as we do, mm-hmm. uh, all we see are Ralph Northam ads and uh, right. Ed Gillespie ads. Yes. And the Ed, some of the Ed Gillespie ads have been uh, pretty borderline, I think, almost inflammatory. Um, well, yeah I, yeah, I think it goes to show that he really is relying on getting those Trump voters out uh, to vote for him, right? You know, a lot, a lot of immigration ads um, you know, he's been running a lot of ads, you know, you know, yeah. on sanctuary cities, gangs, this sort of thing. He, yeah. had, you know, he oh, yeah. realizes he needs those Trump I mean, you, voters to put him over If you watch his ads, you would think that Northam is a member of the, uh, uh, what is it? M- right. M- yeah. MS-13. M- right. MS-13. Yeah. A little breaking news. Little breaking news. All right. It's a Bill Press show breaking news update. Uh-oh. Here it is. From the New York Times, I'm going to read directly from their piece. Just went online. Paul Manafort and his former business associate, Rick Gates, were told to surrender surrender to federal authorities Monday morning, the first charges in the special counsel investigation, according to a person involved in the case. The charges against Mr. Manafort, President Trump's former campaign chairman, and Mr. Gates, a business associate of Mr. Manafort, were not immediately clear, but they represent a significant escalation of the special counsel investigation that has, that has cast a shadow over the president's first year in office. Paul Manafort that, and... Uh, Rick Gates. Rick Gates is the name of the man. He's a business associate of Mr. Manafort. So those are the first two indictments. Again, this is according to a person involved in the case that has spoken to the New York Times. We should see that. Uh, uh, later, they have been told to surrender. May I just point out that uh, as uh, we you read the story on CNN, the uh, Chiron, the headline is, oh, there we go. Paul yep. Manafort to turn himself in today while Fox and Friends is talking about rock the vote. Oh, yeah, The Rock running for president. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Right. That's the biggest story. Uh, they'll go through the entire morning probably without talking about <laughs> Paul Manafort turning himself Watch in. Watch that space. I bet uh, you're turning, right. Turning himself in today. But um, that is uh, huge. Yes. Adam. Yeah, I think uh, we're definitely going to see a lot of uh, members of Congress get questions about this later today. <laughs> uh, from you and others. Yeah, from me right? and others. Yeah, exactly. Well, remember yeah, when but, Donald Trump was like, well, yeah. Paul Manafort, he had nothing to do with my campaign. Right. This guy was nobody. Yeah. He'll, right. He'll yeah. pull that out again. No, when to come back, I mean, it, they'll try, I'm sure. You, I, we know what they're going to say today. Donald Trump knew mm-hmm. nothing about this. Uh, uh, he didn't know Paul Manafort, never met him. <laughs> uh, Manafort is pretty close to... you know. When I, these, we talked about this earlier. These investigations often start with the little fish, mm-hmm. and then you move up to the big fish. Paul Manafort yeah, is a big, big fish. fish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Campaign chairman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, and this this could just be you know the, the first shoe to drop you know in in the Mueller investigation as well. You know he's been oh. going at this for for some time, and this is oh, kind no of the, doubt. the first major oh. development oh, we've no seen doubt. publicly. This is so. not the end of the road right. for Mueller. No. I mean, no, he's not issuing his final report saying we've done all this inve- and here's what we've found. Right, right. He's yeah, this saying is... this is what we found so far. Right. 
and you know they're 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 continuing, uh, and it, it sort of um, puts the lie to Donald Trump's tweets yesterday that this all this is all a witch hunt. There's nothing there, right? There's nothing to it. They'll never find anything. It's all right. I mean, yeah, I would imagine that's going to continue to be the, the line from from Trump in the White House. Well, it will, but this sort of yeah. belies it, right? I mean, if, right. If Robert Mueller, the investigation. Uh, could he? W- will he fire Robert Mueller? Well, I suppose he he could. I think the backlash would be immense, even from Republicans. You know, th- th- I remember this was I think a few months ago. Now there was I can't remember if it was a story or if Trump floated it himself about the possibility of, of yeah. firing Mueller, and and we actually, we actually saw quite a bit of pushback from Republican from lawmakers Republican at the time. So we'll see if we hear more of the same from them uh, this week. Will it be the Monday Night Massacre? <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. Hey, Adam, good to catch up with you. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Thanks so much for coming in. You. you can follow Adam at the National Journal. NationalJournal.com. Uh, Ali Watkins, National Security Correspondent for Politico. More on Robert Mueller coming this up. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing, if you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Breaking news, Robert Mueller lowers the boom. Paul Manafort and Rick Gates, campaign manager, campaign aide, told to surrender today on charges of, we believe, collusion with the Russians during the Trump campaign. Hello, everybody. We've been waiting for for that, and uh, we were told it might happen today, and it is already out um, uh, here on the Bill Press Show, which we bring you on a Monday, October 30. A huge, huge turn of events here in Washington, D.C., uh, coming one day after Donald Trump again yesterday attacking the Mueller investigation as a witch hunt. Uh, which had nothing to do with him, and it was all made up, and it was just because the Democrats refused to follow um, uh, Hillary Clinton's collusion with the Russians and are looking at him instead. Uh, Robert Mueller basically today saying, no, that's BS. We're actually looking at the Trump campaign, and we've started with two people who are guilty. Oh, wow. Ali Watkins has been covering this for a long time, national security correspondent for Politico, and it's a good thing that you're in this morning because we have lots to talk about. I know. Hi, I'm like trying nice to scan to through you. this quick before we talk. No, we're um, all trying to catch up, get up to date here. Yeah, huh? it's fast. it's happening. It's moving. Right. This is this is huge for Trump. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I think we were all kind of. It was this very strange moment this weekend. Every reporter's mm-hmm. texting each other, like, "Oh my God, who do you think it's mm-hmm. going to be?" Yep, um, yep. And we were. I I don't think people are surprised it's Manafort, um, but I think. 
a lot of us thought it was they weren't going to go for Manafort so fast. So yeah. fast, right? Yeah, I think we were kind of prepared for. I mean, I think it was an inevitable, a foregone conclusion that Paul Manafort was eventually going to get caught up in this. Um, but I think we were all kind of bracing for someone much lower level. All um, right. To start. It was amazing how it dropped on like Friday night. Yeah. As yeah. everyone's going to their Halloween parties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's going to be our focus here for the next half hour for sure with Ali Watkins and with all of you. Send us your comments. Now do you know what the news is on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this other is the Full Court Press. Peter needs to tell us about. Yes, indeed. We go to Halloween, which is tomorrow. Uh, Bill, I know you don't dress up for Halloween. But we do have the top 50 Halloween costumes this year. This is according to Google, what oh. people are looking for. Oh, is there any doubt that Donald Trump's number one? Donald Trump is not number one. Get out of here. I mean, it might be number one in Washington, D.C., right? Like where everybody uses a Yes, we are a strange little microphone. It's number one in West Hollywood. I'm sure of that. Maybe. Well, the top 50 Halloween costumes this year around the country, according <laughs> to Google, number one is, any guesses? It's not Donald yeah, Trump. It's not Donald not Trump. my guess. Uh, no. I don't do Halloween. <laughs> That's not the question. I was asking if you knew what the costume was. The number one is Wonder Woman. Oh, Wonder okay. Woman. Cool. Yeah. That's Wonder, cool. Wonder Woman is number one. That's yes. a better answer than Donald Look at Trump. Bill. Look at Bill's face. <laughs> <laughs> number two is Harley Quinn, another uh, superhero. Uh, not a superhero. Bill has no idea who that is. No, <laughs> no, no are these for three-year-olds or what? Well, they're for kids. I mean, kids usually dress up for Halloween, right? So I don't do Halloween. It's for kids. A clown is number three. Ooh. Oh, God. Look at Bill. He's disgusted by the story. These I are am. my favorite stories where Bill just hates the stories <laughs> that I do. I, I know, I am. That must be well, the it phenomenon. That, that's it. That's I exactly bet. right. They yeah. do point to that. They say that no. with it out, that's the big That's the big draw. I, I must admit, I was thinking Donald, I was thinking grown-ups when I was, said Donald Trump. But yeah. I would say kids I, dress up for Halloween more than grown-ups. Like, Halloween is sort of a kid's Depends Halloween. on where you live. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, sure. did you walk down 18th Street and Adams Morgan on Friday night? Yeah, I did, as a matter of fact, and it was oh, God. insane. I'm so sorry. No, it was yeah, insane. It was absurd. It was insane. Yeah, it was absurd. <laughs> Bill, what would you dress up as? Are you dressing up this year? No, I'm not dressing up. He's not well, even going to well, entertain this stupid <laughs> question. He's a, he is so, you're anti-Halloween. Well, you're not anti-Halloween. I'm not anti-Halloween. I'm, I'm, I'm anti-dressing anti- up for I am. Halloween. You should dress up as Bernie. Just, you know, just do it. You know, you've, you've gotten confused for him. <laughs> take much. Before. <laughs> I'd have to let my hair grow a little while. A little bit. But not much. <laughs> And on this Monday, October 30, Paul Manafort and his aide Rick Gates have been told to turn themselves in today to special counsel Robert Mueller. It is the first wave uh, of indictments in Robert Mueller's investigation into possible collusion and possible obstruction of justice on the part of the Trump campaign and the Trump White House. Hey, hello, everybody. How's that to wake up to on a Monday, October 30? It is the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us as we uh, boom out to you from our studio uh, right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And this entire weekend was a city in suspense. Everybody I talked to, family members, friends, strangers on the street, the first question was, who's it going to be? 
is it going to happen Monday, and who's going to be the city uh, waiting, uh, you know, the, spending the weekend in anticipation of this moment? And it is now here, and Ali Watkins joins us from Politico, national security correspondent, uh, to walk through it with us. Thanks for joining us, and we want to hear from you what you think it all means on uh, Twitter, at BP Show. And as Ali, we mentioned earlier, now that Roger Stone is off Twitter, there's a lot of space left for Twitter, so people <laughs> should feel free. Permanently off Twitter. Yeah, per- permanent off Twitter, right. So they say. So what is your take? Is this a big deal? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think we're all kind of trying. We were all trying to figure out this weekend who it was going to be, yeah. um, which uh, it did not leak over the weekend, which probably was a good indicator as to how serious this was going to be. I thought it was going to be Manafort and Carter Page. Um, Carter Page was apparently emailing everybody this morning to tell them that he wasn't the one getting indicted, which... I've also emailed everybody to tell them I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting, getting indicted, indicted today. But so. you, are, you also don't, in theory, know if you are getting indicted, yeah. which is why this is funny. But anyway, yeah, I think we were all kind of prepared. Um, you know, we... Uh, this is just total spitballing that we were doing over the weekend. You know, we were wondering if it was Manafort. Um, although I think it wouldn't, it didn't, doesn't surprise us. We figured he was an inevitable booking at some point. Um, but I think we all kind of expected it to be someone lower level because these kinds of investigations always kind of invert a pyramid. Right. right. Um, they start with the little fish, work up to the big fish. But Paul Manafort's a big fish. Paul Manafort is a big fl- fish. Um, and Flynn was the other name that we were all yeah, kind of right. thumbing I've, around. Yeah, um, right. But yeah, that that Manafort is the guy is kind of starting off, you know, right out of the gate here with some of the bigger fish. Do we know what the charges are? No, we don't. Um, and it, important. Again, to underscore, like, collusion <laughs> is not a legal term. Like, you can't be charged with collusion. So it's far, I mean, if we're just guessing what Manafort could be booked for, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that it is probably something involving tax evasion, some kind of financial crime based on a lot of the things that we've read about. The, uh, BuzzFeed News had a story yesterday about these really suspicious wire transfers um, through 2012 and 2013 when Manafort was working closely with the Putin-aligned Ukrainian government. Um, so, you know, as far as what he could be charged with, obviously it runs the gamut and Mueller's looking at everything, but everything that we know about Manafort at this point is it's probably some kind of So we do thing. know that he had multi-million dollar contracts with Ukrainian political figures, right? Yes. Who were tied to Russia. Tied to Russia. And this is during the 2012-2013 Ukrainian uprisings. Right, right. And so that's his Russian connection, I guess. That's where most of them go back to. Which is a pretty strong connection. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's not very vague. He's got a direct connection. No, there's a pretty clear line between the Putin government and... But, but... Uh, look, there are a lot of lobbyists in this town who represent some pretty unsavory characters on the world stage. That's not illegal. No. So um, for him to have that client, as as um, unsavory as it may be, as they say, is, is not in itself illegal, uh, and, and nor does it prove that he was using those connections to assist the Russians in hacking into our election, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, there's there's no silver bullet here as far as Paul Manafort goes right now. And if it was illegal to represent questionable interests in Washington, we wouldn't have much of a city. So, Could it be maybe that he lied about those connections and lied under oath? I mean, that is... I mean, we could go there. I think we... My guess, if I'm... And I don't have yeah. any yeah. 
sourcing, you know, I don't coming from me within the Mueller team, but my best guess is that it's something to do with financial, whether it's tax evasion, um, you know, some kind of money laundering fraud, something like that. That would I would put my money on that option. Um, so the what, thing about Manafort is he's got a history of relatively unsavory politics. Yeah. Right. Like so there are a number of things that they could be looking at here. Uh, so what's the connection with the Trump campaign? Well, this is where it's going to be very interesting to see what the White House's line is, because obviously Manafort ran the campaign. Um, but in the months since, as Manafort has kind of emerged as this problematic character, the White House has been like, oh, you know, he wasn't chairman for that long. He's kind of being pitched as this temp figure almost as the head of the campaign. Um, and it's it's been con- it's still unclear what kind of contact Manafort had with Trump even after he left the campaign, partly because nobody really I mean, Trump was not having scheduled calls. He was kind of. He's a really details guy. Yeah, not particularly. So it's not like we have a log saying like, oh, Trump continued talking to Manafort, you know, through the inauguration, through, you know, March, April, whatever. Um, So those are the kinds of questions that are going to that are kind of like the secondary wave here. So we saw Donald Trump's tweets over the weekend. Which can someone please teach him how to thread? I just (laughs) (laughs) seriously impossible to follow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and which which was part of his continuing effort and the part of uh, his allies to shift the attention away from whatever Mueller is doing to let's get back and talk about Hillary. Uh, emails, uranium deal, dossier, everything. Cora Lewandowski, who succeeded Paul Manafort as uh, campaign chairman uh, on one of the shows uh, over the weekend. The speculation is so insane right now. What we should be focusing on are the continued lies of the Clinton administration, the continued fallacies that they the, perpetuate. What? The Clinton administration. The yeah. Clinton administration. <laughs> yeah, they kind of forget she didn't win, right? The lies of the Clinton administration. And then uh, uh, <laughs> the, uh, <clears throat> the intelligent judge, uh, Janine, uh, P- Piero, Piero, right, on yeah. uh, on Fox News, Saturday night, summing it all up. It's time to shut it down, turn the tables, and lock her up. <laughs> That's what I said. I actually said it. Lock her up. We're just never actually going to get out of the 2016 really cryon. No, this is our reality for the rest of forever. Yeah. I mean, and Donald Trump yesterday calling this whole Mueller investigation a witch hunt. So... What do you anticipate their response is going to be today uh, in light of Paul Manafort's uh, arrest? Well, um, you know, there's Paul the who? less, yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. the less serious side of this of like, what what are we going to come at Hillary Clinton for today? Which I have told, I had this conversation with someone last week. It's like, you know, what? if Hillary Clinton had won, I would be more than happy to dig into every allegation. And I would. Yes, any sure. reporter would. However, you are not in the White House, hence you are not my priority you know, at the moment. Um, so anyway, you have those questions of like, what is their strategy of obfuscation going to be? But then you have the very serious question with huge implications of like, what are they going to do about Mueller now? Because Mueller is essentially saying like, I'm not playing games with this. Um, and there is all this speculation. Is he going to call for his resignation? We had all this weird stuff this weekend with the journal editorial board 
suggesting that Mueller needs to step down. And so there, there's this weird churn happening. And Republicans have said in the past that Trump needs to leave Mueller, leave Mueller alone. And this is where the rubber is going to kind of meet the road. Uh, yeah, it seems to me that uh, we'll see what Sarah Sanders, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has to say today. Trump may speak to it before then. I doubt it. But um, mm-hmm. I think there are going to be two, two lines. One is uh, Paul Manafort was this all happened before he got involved in the campaign. Trump knew nothing about it. They never talked about it. As much distance between Trump and Manafort as they can. One. And two, we should be talking about Hillary. Yes. Um, I think that's that's been their MO with responding to this since day one, um, which I, I think for the most part is just basically thrown in to make the water murky. But the question that I think we all need to really pay attention to in the next week is like, how is Trump going to respond to Mueller? Like, is is yeah. Mueller's position actually? Could he? Him? We know he can legally. Yes. Right? Uh, could he get away with firing Mueller? Um, I don't know. I mean, politically, I don't know. Uh, and I don't think many people do because Republicans have said they would be against it. Um, however, that backstop has proven to be further back than I think any of us thought it would be. So he go fire him. He he could go, fire. He's him. going to fire him. If he did. I think. There, I mean, you're right. Some Republicans would certainly say this is it. This is it. But but what are they going to do? They're not going to impeach him. Right. Paul Ryan already has a statement written. We are very disappointed. The White House should be better than this. But I'm not going to go into hypotheticals. <laughs> there is, yeah. yeah. Like it's, it, it, they're not. You're right. They're not going to impeach him if this happens. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that uh, Trey Gowdy kind of stepped out of a line with the Republican pack yesterday, uh, suggesting that um, they just sort of hands off Mueller and let him do his deal. Here's Trey Gowdy. I. I- would encourage my Republican friends, give the guy a chance to do his job. The result will be known by the facts, by what he uncovers. The personalities involved are much less important to me than the underlying facts. So I, I would I would say give the guy a chance to do his job. But I'll bet if Trump fired him, Trey Gowdy would be one of the first ones to say, hey, well, he's president. He could fire every who wants. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Gowdy has this streak. He is a prosecutor at, at heart. So I... I wonder he, if he would be one of the... Well, I, I'd be glad to be surprised. Yeah, but, uh, fair, uh, fair point. You, you know, Keep your just, expectations low. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you know, were he to fire Mueller, it seems to me, Rosenstein would resign. I, he'd have to, I, to maintain any semblance of the credibility he's been able and to And you might have some others in the Justice Department, too. I mean, I, I, I think it, there'd be, there would be some consequences. I suspect and, there would be a mass exodus. But... but in the end, Trump would, I think, remain president, remain in power, and basically, I think to Peter's point, get away with it. Yeah. Uh, and it might have some impact on the 2018 midterms, probably not, but and it might have some impact on 2020 if people would have maybe forgotten about it by then. I mean, we're only <laughs> 10 months into the Trump presidency, right? Yeah. Um I mean, this is, this is something that we all thought about the second Mueller got appointed, right, is right. what's going to happen if and when. The day By the comes. way, on that point, we're also only into, I think it's five months, July, whenever, when Mueller took over, when, when Comey was fired. Mm-hmm. And, and so already, right, he's moved pretty fast, actually, for a prosecutor to turn around and have these first indictments. But they're not going to be, most likely, 
this is not the end of the road for Robert Mueller. He is not issuing his final report saying, my investigation's over, here's what we found. No, certainly not. No. I, I mean, he and he has amassed a hell of a team it, He very quickly. I mean, that was a good first indicator of how quickly he was going to move and how seriously it was being taken, is that he pulled together this, like, all-star legal team mm-hmm. um, right off the bat. So that it's moved fast is not necessarily surprising, I think, to anyone. A, because it doesn't sound like most of these people hid their misdeeds very well and b he's got quite a team of investigators helping him out right but we can expect that oh that there will be more that it's it's sort of a um what are they called a rolling investigation right yes that's i think yeah he's he's said that or someone has said that so they get they get to another point they convene another grand jury and say okay boom 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 plus one might expect i guess that manafort and rick gates I don't know what Rick Gates's job was. He's a he's been under the radar. For Everything me. that I've read, it just says that he's uh, a business associate of Mr. Manafort. I was going to say he's just kind of Manafort's crony or yeah. something. Yeah, so he's I don't walking know. into the courthouse, isn't he? This... Uh, I, I just was watching him walk. In. I said, believe yeah. that's Manafort walking into. Did he the... cover his face? That's what I really wanted to know. No, he it didn't look like he did. He just he walked didn't. in, huh? Yeah. Well, he covered his face with the um, the visor in the uh, in the car. As he was pulling out of his home, but uh, oh, on nice. the way into All FBI. Right. Well, I'm um, I'm disappointed that they didn't frog march him out of the palm yeah. at lunch. I thought that would <laughs> um, that would have been the classic Washington move. Right? Uh, that would have been like a nice picture for the history books someday. Unfortunately. <laughs> so what I was making is, I guess you can expect that Manafort, the way these things normally work, that Manafort and Gates will cooperate. Uh, to try to get a lesser sentence, which means that some of the other people that we didn't hear from yet, like um, Donnie Jr. or Michael Flynn or Jared Kushner, maybe ought to be a little nervous? Um, Yeah, although I don't know if I would or wouldn't bank on Manafort and company cooperating, you know, uh, because they've. I'm sure if, if it's reached the point where they are getting indicted, the opportunity has presented itself to take a deal or to cooperate, and clearly they haven't if we're rising to this level. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it certainly not shouldn't make any of them relax in the White House, um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily bank on cooperation at this point. Does Mueller have a deadline? No. I mean, that's been part of this question is how, I mean, this thing could last a decade depending on how many rabbit holes he wants to go down. Uh, so there's no deadline and there are no kind of limits to where he can go, correct? No. I mean, his the lane is very, very wide. Um, you know, he's obviously probing Manafort's ties to Ukrainian oligarchs connected to Putin and he's also probing Mike Flynn's lobbying for the Turkish government while he was a campaign advisor. So the I mean the universe of things that he can look at is pretty wide. Right. And that's that's really bad news for Trump and it yeah. probably and it also drives him crazy cuz he seems to be sort of a control freak Trump and he's just got a guy out there he has no control over with unlimited right. relatively unlimited power. You know, yeah. Mueller. I mean, Mueller could go anywhere he wants. And what role does Jeff Sessions play here? Um, that you know, I'm not 
super well versed in the DOJ process. But um, he has recused himself, right? Yeah, so he shouldn't play a role, right? Because I believe once a special counsel does, like he has to send the charges to DOJ, which then decides yeah. to charge. Um, I think but, I have that right. But but, but again, Sessions should Sessions, not be involved in that. Sessions has said he would not be involved in that. Yeah. Right. So it's back to Rosenstein. Who, should be. Right. And it's it's worth, I think, remembering, we made this point earlier today as well, that um, the, the reason we have Robert Mueller is because Donald Trump tried, begged, tried to get and begged James Comey to drop this investigation. Comey refused. Trump fires Comey. And what's the result? Robert Mueller, special yes. counsel. <laughs> Right. I you mean, forget how this all started. Yeah. It's it's been which, wild. Which has to go down as one of the dumbest mistakes any president ever has made. A colossal cell phone. Yeah. Just like yeah. such major a major own goal. I mean to get rid yeah. of Comey and then get Mueller is not an ideal alternative. Yeah. Um Yeah. So whoever yeah. and I don't know who it was, whether it was Steve Bannon or Jared Kushner or Donald Jr. whoever or Ivanka, whoever around him who convinced him that firing James Comey was a good move ought to be fired. If they're not already out. I don't know. <laughs> or they may be indicted. Who knows? Yeah, right, right. Might take care of itself. <laughs> Convenient. Uh-oh. Hey, so what else is happening on the national security front? Are we going to war with North Korea? Uh, um, oh, I, not this week. Yeah, by the way, I don't think. Yeah. there is that. There is that. Yes, I right. think it's going to be a Russia week, not a North Korea week, but that can change on a dime. So, um, not sure of that. I, I mean, we're there has it's been relatively quiet on that <clears throat> front for a little bit. Um, you know, as far as the national security beat Germany, I mean, Russia is sucking all the air out of the room right now. But there is so much happening. We have all. We just had another soldier die in Afghanistan, which Trump has obviously botched all, an entire story. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of detention issues coming up as a question as far as ISIS goes. Um, we have a couple. We have an American who we have captured who was fighting for ISIS and re-drumming up all these questions of how does the U.S. handle detention policy. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of things happening on the national security beat. And Russia, frankly, in, in a lot of ways, the Russia indictment Mueller story is moving away from a national security intelligence story and is becoming a DOJ um, FBI story rather than a national security story. Um, so on the North Korean front, it has sort of we have just have been talking about, it, which means they haven't fired off a missile, I guess, and Donald Trump hasn't insulted um there hasn't been twitter posturing essentially right uh but that would be one good way of kind of changing the subject wouldn't it i mean for him to (laughs) if if we actually use a nuclear weapon to change the news cycle no i don't mean that but a a, a couple more fiery tweets against him yeah i mean that works too you know there's plenty of ways he can obfuscate from this um and obviously the and the Hillary uranium story still has legs. I, people are still paying attention to that. People are still talking about it, even if it was basically just a repackaged news story from, you know, a year or two ago, whenever the Times so, first broke it. Uh, yeah. So I, I know people are talking about it because Donald Trump is talking about it. But essentially, what is the what is new about the uranium deal? Not much. I mean, the Times wrote about that. 
I mean, like nothing. Like a year. Right? The newest thing on the Clinton front is the dossier funding All right. rabbit but, hole. But, uh, okay, I'll get to that. Yeah. But on the uranium deal, I mean, seriously, I went back because it was fuzzy in my mind. We hadn't talked about it for so long. Mm-hmm. And I read every story I could find, including Politico did a long, long, long probe into mm-hmm. the uranium deal. Yeah, there was a lot of good reporting out Called of Politico. Called mostly false. You know, I yeah. Mean, um, and, and so I, I couldn't find anything new that that would that would you know merit resurrecting this story. Yeah, like raise the specter. I I have not either. I mean, I didn't follow it super closely when it happened two years ago. But as I was kind of comparing this news stuff, I didn't find anything that really made me say like, oh my gosh, we should go dig back into that. Right. Um, it was a lot of it seemed to be, you know, with the hook. Obviously, Nunez is now pushing it. Um, the intelligence yeah. committees are pushing, investigating it again, which that becomes part of the news hook. Um, but as far as the actual substance, I did not see a ton. It was basically repackaged. Right. Okay. Uh, and and, and by, I do think that today's news is going to overwhelm any effort to divert attention and distract attention. Uh, yeah. You know, the it, fact that it's Manafort, I mean, if it had just yes. been Rick Gates or something, yeah. I probably would have passed by a lot quicker. But the fact that it's Manafort makes it a you much You can't call deal. this a witch. You can't, well, he will. He will. But you can't really get away with calling it a witch hunt anymore. This Manafort's indictment proves this is no witch hunt. This is a real thing. Real thing. But so now <laughs> on to the, um, the dossier. Okay. I'm, again, where's the beef, I guess, is my question, right? And we, we, this is an old story, too. There was this opposition research done by this firm, Fusion GPS, I think, or Fusion, yes. right? Yeah. And they hired Christopher Steele, former British intelligence officer, to do it. And who hired them to do it? Well, it started with funded by Republicans. Yes. Yes. Right. And then moves to Dem. I mean, the most interesting, not interesting, the weirdest thing about the dossier story is that it's it's become two stories. Yeah. There's the stuff in the document. Which we're no ta- not talking about. Which we're not talking about. And frankly, like, I've, I've talk, been talking to sources about the allegations of that document for forever. And they're basically, you know, if Chris Steele is not going to tell them who, their, who his sources were, it is kind of a dead end. It, and, you know, unless they take it and try to independently confirm. Right. The sources that I've spoken to have said, you know, we have, you know, we have not found the tape. Like, we don't know. Tape. Which tape are you talking about? Which, uh, which, yeah. which P tape? I mean, who knows? Is there like a trilogy here? Yeah, right. um, But so you have like the, the allegations in the document, which set that aside. The story of the dossier has emerged to who funded it, where did it come from, what are Fusion GPS's connections, which is an interesting story. I think it's very interesting um, and right. worth probing. It's just a matter of where it surfaces in the news cycle that makes it right. complicated. Right. Do you believe that the DNC and John Podesta did not know that the the campaign and the DNC were paying for this? No, I don't either. <laughs> no, I don't either. And, like, and, and Tom Perez, the, like and, at the end of last week, says, oh, "Oh, I just heard about this dossier yesterday." Well, Perez, oh, come, like, we, what are you talking about? On, what are you yeah. talking like, about? Well, I don't think he he was at, at in charge t- of doing it, but like, what do you mean I, you haven't heard e- of it? Even at the time when he was Secretary of Labor, I, I'm willing to believe he didn't know the DNC was paying sure. for it. Sure. Yeah, but fine. the fact that they never heard of it, no. Yeah, and the fact that Podesta, head of the campaign, and the, and the Debbie Washman Schultz, head of the DNC, didn't know. But it's, So what if they were paying for it, is my point. 
Well, this cares? idea, the thing the that The Republicans is, are the ones who started paying for it. Yes, And exactly. then when the primaries are, the never-Trumpers were paying for it, when Trump ends up winning the primary, the Democrats say, let's keep this going. We want the dirt on Trump, mm-hmm. so we'll pay for it. BFD. Yeah, I mean, right? it's, it's an interesting story for a lot of reasons, but not any of the reasons that yeah. anybody wants to really talk about it. <laughs> So, man, what a day to have you in. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much. I'll invite. We're going to have some more indictments by the end of the day. Who, Who knows? knows? Yeah, end right. of the hour, you know? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. We're going to take a break and look at uh, what's up today with uh, working families in America. Where are we going? What are the problems they're facing? The president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, uh, the Honorable Mark Perrone, joining us here in the studio. Quick break. We'll be right back. The speculation is so insane right now. What we should be focusing on are the continued lies of the Clinton administration. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And on this Monday, October 30, welcome back, everybody. Wrapping up the Bill Press Show for this uh, first day of the week, day before Halloween. Hope you had a great weekend. It's good to see you, and thank you for joining us on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Coming to you coast to coast. Uh, from on Free Speech TV and out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. And we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and uh, brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Uh, good friends of ours, great people who uh, provide uh, such tremendous service to all of us all across the country. Every time we go out to some retail establishment, they are there with a smile, uh, making it a better experience. And we welcome to the studio the president of the UFCW, uh, Mr. Mark Perrone. Hello, Mark. It's great to see you. Hi, Bill. How are you this morning? Thank you for coming in for what we hope is the first of many appearances here. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. And before we get uh, into some of the issues uh, with uh, President Perrone, just bringing you up to date on the breaking news of the day. It broke just about a half an hour ago uh, that the Office of the Special Counsel announcing... Uh, that uh, Paul Manafort, former campaign chairman of uh, President Trump, then-candidate Trump, and his associate, Rick Gates, have been asked to surrender themselves this morning. We believe they've already done so at the federal courthouse in downtown Washington. We saw them walking in there a few moments ago uh, to surrender themselves on whatever charges that uh, Robert Mueller's special counsel uh, has come up with. These are the first indictments in his investigation into possible collusion between the Trump campaign uh, and Kremlin officials, uh, and he's also investigating possible obstruction of justice on the part of the president. Uh, that's the news such as we know it today. Peter, anything breaking over the half hour? No? Not yet, no. Paul Manafort has turned himself in, so that's official. He has actually showed up and, and turned himself in. Some people said that they had tried to call Paul Manafort's cell phone. It's going straight to voicemail. Uh, so this is serious. It, it is. And it, it, it shows that this investigation is very serious and any attempts on the part of the president 
or anybody else to dismiss it as a witch hunt or fake news uh, simply wrong. Um, well, we don't want to get you tied up into all that political stuff here, <laughs> Mark, unless you unless you want to. <laughs> no, I think I'll take a, I think I'll take a back seat to <laughs> what's going on with the Kremlin in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the UFCW a little bit. How many members and uh, what's the main work and where are you located? Well, we've got 1.3 million members between between Puerto Rico, the United States, uh, and Canada. Uh, we are, in fact, uh, the union that puts food on on everybody's table, uh, from food processing um, to retail food stores uh, and retail department stores across this country. Right, 1.3 million. What what was the impact in Puerto Rico of your uh, your members down we, there? We have about 2,500 members there. Um, it was it has been devastating uh, to them. Uh, we've been in limited contact with them because most of the cell phone towers are down. Mm. Uh, we have tried to use some new technology to get in touch with them through texting uh, to find out exactly how much damage was done to each one of their homes and things like that. We were able to do that in Houston uh, yeah. when the hurricane hit there, and we were able to do it again in Orlando uh, when that hurricane hit. However. The cell towers, um, because they are down, uh, and so much of the infrastructure is down in Puerto Rico, it's been very difficult. Well, I'm sure um, a lot of your um, businesses where your members are employed were flooded, shut down. Many of the businesses have closed. uh, I mean, in Houston at that time. Well, in that time, uh, the biggest problem that we had at the time was Houston. Kroger's warehouse in Houston was closed, which then limited the food oh. that could get into the stores. However, they they sent uh, food from different parts of the country um, while that warehouse was closed. Right. Uh, in in terms of the the retail stores, your members do the um, the, the the stock everything right from stocking the shelves to keeping the produce up to checking people out. And they they cut meat in the back. They they put the produce out. They're the ones that uh, cut your deli products. They cut your cheeses in the cheese department. Uh, they'll assist you with wine if, in fact, uh, <laughs> you're interested in knowing a little bit about the wine department. Uh, and they'll certainly check you out in the front of the stores. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you. Uh, I'm one of those shoppers that depends on people to, 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 to well, help you know, when I'm doing the shopping. And, well, and it's interesting because they, in fact, do know uh, a lot of the little secrets and the pro tips if you just ask them. If yeah. the customers go in there and ask specifically, as that meat cutter, what's the best uh, cut of meat that I can possibly get for this dinner that I'm going to do tonight, he can certainly help her do that or help him do that. Um, and they can certainly tell you what produce, how to pick your produce so that you get it at, at, at its maximum. Uh, many times, uh, you know, if you don't really know what to look for, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you br- might bring something home that you can't actually use at that moment because it's not ripe enough yet in order to use it in your recipe. Well, that gets to one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is I keep hearing that, the, that, that one of the biggest threats facing the American workforce today and American working families is automation. Uh, and I could see 
that in a retail store like that, right? That's one people, but one place people might say, oh, there's a lot of potential here for automation. But what does that mean for the consumer? Well, I think it means a couple of things for the consumer. Um, I certainly, I've been in the retail food industry for about 40, 45 years now. I started when I was 16. I put my way through college uh, working in a food store. Uh, and I've seen a lot of changes during that period of time as far as technology is concerned. Whether or not it's unit price codes, UPC codes that you see on the boxes or machines that ultimately tell you how much change you're supposed to give out and the scanners mm. uh, and self-scanning. Uh, but what we have seen in all cases, technology hasn't necessarily improved the experience. Whether or not you're talking about a call center that you have to call somebody to try to set up an appointment for your house or whether or not you're talking about going into a grocery store and checking your own merchandise out, if you think about it for a second. Uh, it's slower, actually. They did a test in Atlanta, and it's actually slower. It makes you think it's faster because you're doing something in the process, but it is actually a slower process than going through a checker. These automatic check <laughs> or not automatic checkouts, but where you check the self scans. Out. The self scans are yeah. actually slower. Now, the reason why they're slower, generally, is that the customer doesn't necessarily know that merchandise like that cashier does guilty as charged yeah i never go through those self-checkout things because it's always the same it's always like if there is a problem or i do have a question like i'd rather have someone who's there and knows the product and knows the store and knows the codes to help me like figure it out give you an example sure um the codes are on one part of the box now that that cashier knows where that code's at mm -hmm. because that cashier runs through hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of items right. a day. Right. And they ultimately know where to find those UPC codes. A regular customer, if you walk in behind a regular customer on a UPC line where they're using a self-scan, I can promise you it's <laughs> going to take you twice as long to get through that line than if a checker checks you out. Mm. You know, that's just one example. Some of the other things that I think that are coming are as far as technology is concerned, is RFID chips, which we could see in the future. There is some challenge at the moment. No idea what that is. An RFID chip is a chip that is implanted on individual devices that ultimately uh, emits a radio wave that tells uh, a scanner exactly what that merchandise is, how much it costs, and where it's located. Okay, so... It could tell in the store how many cans of a certain, uh, well, say, yeah. a can of peas are or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, you put it inside your bag, uh, inside the basket, and you push it through a scanner, and it will read out how much, uh, how Whoa. many cans you have and things like that. Now, you may recall a commercial that took place during the Super Bowl probably 15 years ago. And there was a young man that had went into a store, and he looked, he looked, is if he was taking merchandise, he'd stick it in his, his raincoat and he'd walk yeah. through the store. And right as he was about to walk out, <laughs> a security guard walked up behind him and said, excuse me, sir, I think you forgot your receipt. <laughs> so this technology has been in the work for about 15 years. Uh, they're using it presently in warehouses to track pallets. Hmm. Uh, the difference is, is that the manufacturers and the point of sale people or in a dispute about who should actually purchase that chip to go on that merchandise. 
because at the moment it runs anywhere from, I think they're about five cents a chip at the moment. Once they get them down to like one cent or a half a cent, we'll probably see more of those chips inside the store uh, to where that they're located on cans and merchandise and things like that. They can ultimately track that that individual can. They can ultimately charge your credit card. If you think about your credit card, it has a chip on it today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so that's an RFID chip. And that chip... When you push push through that scanner, it'll read everything in that basket, and then it will charge it to your credit card in your back pocket. That's what the future holds as it relates to that. Now, there are approximately 10 uh, 10 million cashier's jobs uh, in the United States today. Uh, What could be the impact of that? Uh, we could certainly see a, a huge loss of jobs yeah. in the United States. Um, and I just think that is one sector of the economy that could be affected. Um, if we think about how many people could, in fact, be affected by automation, whether or not it's self-driving vehicles, which would be truck drivers, potentially cab drivers, taxi, uh, taxi drivers, all those things could ultimately be impacted by technology. If you think about uh, what's happening on Wall Street today, algorithms are basically making decisions about when to buy and yep. sell stocks yep. every single day. Uh, we have doctors that are being affected by technology because of robotics and robotic surgeries that are taking place today. I don't think that there's any phase of our economy that won't be affected by AI in some way or another or automation. My question is, if a person in, say, California makes $50,000 a year and they pay taxes of $11,000 a year and those robots ultimately take over their jobs, Mm -hmm. who is going to support the infrastructure in this country through a tax base? You know, the, the lower and working class and middle class workers in this country support this country's infrastructure at every level, whether or not it's police, fire, uh, prisons, roads, right, all the yeah. things that are ultimately significant for companies in order to make money because ultimately they get, a, in some respects, they get a subsidy, you know, by people paying for these things because it right. helps them transmit and transport their goods. If that ultimately takes place, who is going to ultimately pay the taxes? What is going to happen to our I'll society? I'll tell you one thing. That robot's not going to pay. Well, th- <laughs> right? that that could be a question. No, I mean, it's an excellent question. I mean, in terms of the shrinking of the workforce means the shrinking of the tax base, unless you're going to charge those few people who still have jobs yeah. a lot higher taxes, right? That's right. And here's an interesting concept. The Bush had been, uh, excuse me, the uh, Barack Obama's administration in December 2016 said that AI and automation was going to affect the economy anywhere from 9 to 50% of the existing jobs that we By had. AI, you mean it's... Uh, artificial intelligence. Art- oh, okay, right. Yes. Anywhere from 9 to 47%. Now, I think it is safe to say, okay... That's a big range. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think that initially... They're referring to the range as what could happen. Mm-hmm. And as it starts to move through the system, I think the higher number is what the range is. 
most recently I've been reading in the newspaper where it's between 40 and 50 percent at its peak. Well, what about the quality question, right? I mean, getting back to the person you can ask in the store, right, for some information, you can't ask a robot, right? I mean, so in terms of quality control, quality service, quality of service is lacking. We're losing as well. I think we are, and I think if you look at the European model versus the U.S. model, if you go into a retail store in Europe that is considered a, a premium store, you get a lot of service. Uh, hmm. I think here in the United States, the question is, is what kind of service are we getting? And are we getting high quality service? Now, I think it, our members do provide high quality service. Yeah, I would agree. But is anybody looking at this question, seriously at this question of the impact of AI or automation on the American workforce? I I don't, I think the news media has looked at it somewhat, but I don't think that there's been enough action um, on the part of government, uh, nor on the part of business. Now, Elon Musk at the um, Governor's Association dinner in Providence, Rhode Island about six weeks ago said that he believed that it was an industry that ultimately needed to be regulated in some form because we couldn't ultimately deal with the impact that was coming down the road. Right. Because as technology starts to advance, it starts to advance in geometric progressions. It gets faster and faster and faster. I remember what my grandmother said. Uh, she She lived to be 103 years old. God bless her. Yeah. She saw everything from a bra being invented to us landing on the moon to cell phones to fax machines to computers, I mean, during her lifetime. And that was only 103 years. If you think about where we were then when we started Mm -hmm. and where she ended up at, if you think about that sort of speed as it starts to increase geometrically, it's going to be much quicker. Right. And we right. may be looking at 10 to 15 years or 20 years versus 100. Uh, how many of the, uh, just so those of us who are uh, union friendly and labor friendly, um, how many of the big chains are uh, union shops? Are all of them Ralph's, Safeway? Ralph's, Safeway. Uh, Walmart's not union, of course. And plenty of people have heard about that story about right. uh, yeah. what happens with the workers. Uh, of course, Amazon's not union. That's another large supplier going forward in the future. Uh, we think that they're going to try to get into the retail food business, but we don't necessarily think they're going to go all in because it is, in fact, hard to ship fresh goods. And customers generally like people that know how to pick the, the merchandise so that they get the kind of merchandise they're looking for. And the other thing is it's hard to actually ship and get stuff to you fresh when you need it on time. But Amazon's already in the, in the, uh, in the uh, food business, right? Right. With, but with Whole Foods? They are. They bought Have you four. seen any impact of Amazon? Well, there was impact as it related to the stock market. It certainly drew, uh, you know, forced some prices down on some of our existing employers' stock and their shares. But I think that that was primarily because there was a thought process that they would be category killers. Um, and and what I mean by that is Amazon does, in fact, sell a lot of non-perishable items like diapers. Mm-hmm. They're the largest 
uh, retailer of diapers in the world. Um, and there will be categories inside the store that will ultimately be killed. Did uh, Was Whole Foods, before Amazon bought them, a union uh, shop? Whole Foods was not a union was shop. Not. I see. So that um, did not change. But they did, in fact, uh, their rates uh, were pretty good, what they paid their employees. Uh, and they generally provided them a health insurance plan that they could actually afford. Now... Uh, I think it's a, it's it's starting to change. If you've been reading any of the articles recently, there has been a culture clash because Jeff Bezos does, in fact, look to automation, looks to yeah. uh, increased efficiencies. They've been saying that they think that they might have paid too much attention to the workers uh, and not enough attention to the customer. Um, but a Whole Foods experience, generally, if you'd ever been in there, a Whole Foods experience wasn't a bad experience for the customer. Uh, and I think that that if you could have something that's both, a good experience for the customer and a good experience for the worker that works in there. That's the ideal. That is the ideal situation you could end up right. with. The, uh, these, these companies that are popping up, I would not use one, frankly. Um, where you buy your groceries, you just... Like, have you ever done that, Peter, online, and then somebody delivers the groceries at home? <clears throat> I haven't done that. No, I've never done that. I know that a lot of people do, and you see more stores sort of um, cater my, cater my, to them. Migrating. And, yeah, yeah, sort of embracing it. You know. Um, Does that take the worker out of the equation? Well, no, because there's still a worker that's picking the merchandise inside the store that, yeah. that has experience. And most okay. of our employers are union employers that are using it. Really? Whether yeah. or not it's... Whether or not it's uh, Giant, which is you, is Peapod, uh, and Kroger's has a, a service called Click and Pick, mm. where they pick the merchandise for you. Well, you ultimately tell them what you want. Right. They pick it for you, and then it's ready for you at a set time. Mm-hmm. They use drive by the oh, store I and you pick yeah. it up. But our our employers are looking for high quality workers that are experienced across a number of different levels and trained on a number of different skill sets, both produce, deli, uh, and meat, and seafood. So that A, they pick the freshest seafood, they pick the freshest meat, and they get the produce that is closest to the ripest point that you're gonna need it. You know, sure. So if you tell them I need avocados today, those avocados, the ones they pick are gonna be uh, more usable at that point in time. One other issue that I know you've been out in the forefront on is this uh, Guest Worker Act uh, in Congress. We, we have been because of the impact that we think that it's going to have on existing workers here in the United States. That What would the act do or what would the proposal Well, do? ultimately, uh, there are no limits on the number of guest workers that they can bring into the country uh, going forward. To pick and, crops. Well, no, not no. only to pick crops, but also to process food and to process poultry, mm. beef, oh. uh, and process food inside those food processing houses, the canning locations. Yeah. Now, the significance of that is, is this. Uh, guest worker legislation of the past used to have a six-month limit that you had to yeah. go back within a six-month mm-hmm. period. It was more migratory right, workers. Right, right. Today, Seasonal, what they're, what they're so. talking about uh, is for a three-year period. Uh, and then you can apply for an extension. So in essence, it is a long-term worker uh, that you can ultimately bring in at 1023 an hour um, and 
passed guest worker legislation, uh, the employer had to provide housing for the individual. Mm-hmm. This legislation oh. that they don't. So, in effect, in the reality is, is this worker that might be coming in would probably be making uh, probably below minimum wage by the time that they had to provide themselves housing. It used to be that it allowed for workers to come into this country uh, under a visa and be able to send money home to their respective countries. Mm-hmm. No. I, th- I don't think that this bill is that kind of bill. This is a long-term replacement of U.S. Uh, workers, people that are here either on temporary protected status, uh, they're actual immigrants that have a chance to become involved into our society, uh, and people of the 11 million that are out there. We have some that are, in fact, uh, some workers that could, in fact, become citizens of the United States because they are within the guidelines of the government's present system, the one that Ronald Reagan had put forth. Now, where we are is that for those people, that 11 million folks, whatever portion of that is our membership, we've been trying to help them with their citizenship. So we've been providing the attorneys uh, hmm. to allow them to, to reach that citizenship status in the United States. And we feel as though that, that unprotected workers, whether or not they're guest workers or on an extended period of time, or workers that are in this country without papers, it creates a challenge for them because they are at, at, at least, they are at the whim of the employer that they work for. Right. Yeah. Because that employer could say to them, we're going to send you home. Uh, I have to interrupt you there because that uh, clock says that we are just uh, just about run out. But I want to thank you so much for coming in and thank you and all your members for the great service that you have provided us for so many years and continue to do so. Well, Bill, Thanks so much. thank Brown. you. And Peter, thank you very Sir. much. All right. Have a, a great day, folks. We'll look for you tomorrow. is The Bill Press Show. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.